0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Policy Wonk podcast. I'm Joe, and I'm Kale, and today we have a special guest. It is State Representative Dan Troy, and we're very uh, glad that he agreed to be on the podcast today. And we're just going to hop right into the episode today. So, Kale, if you want to take it away with our first question.
1: So, our conversation today is with Representative Dan Troy. So, I want to start off with just letting you introduce yourself, where you're from.
2: All right. Well, I'm State Representative Daniel Troy, and uh, right now I live in Willowick, uh, but I've lived in Lake County, either Eastlake or Willowick uh, since I was eight years old, was born in Cleveland. I represent what is now called Ohio's third house district, which is about, uh, oh, 45% of uh, Lake County, Western Lake County. And then I have a, three communities in Eastern Cuyahoga County, Richmond Heights, Mayfield Village, and Gates Mills. And uh, talking to you folks from columbus we just finished session and we just passed the uh, state budget out of the ohio house today uh on a bipartisan vote uh like all b- budgets don't agree with everything in it but uh have to have a budget to operate so uh, we've done our part now it moves over to the ohio senate and uh um, so that's that's what we're about today
1: awesome so our first official question is how do you feel about Governor DeWine signaling that he will sign a bill allowing for an August election? I know he did that, I believe, Monday, right, Joe? I think so, yeah. He did it on Monday.
2: Well, I don't disagree. I, I don't I, I don't agree with that. Uh, first of all, uh, last session we passed a bill, uh, you know, basically ending any August special elections. So I was one of the few Democrats that actually supported that and spoke in favor of it because they said, you know, holding elections... Uh, with the idea of trying to get as few people as possible to participate. uh, That's not democracy. And so, uh, you know, election, early August, that's a tough time. People are on vacation. People might be getting ready to get back to school. Uh, So the fact is that, uh, you know, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. They say, we don't want any August special elections. But, oh, but we would like one this August for purposes of amending the constitution to make it much harder, uh, to, uh, amend the constitution in the future. So, uh, uh, yeah, so I, I, you know, the governor's saying, well, if that bill comes to my desk, uh, because we'd have to have a piece of legislation to actually hold an August special election, uh, uh, be, uh before we could actually have people vote on the constitutional amendment, uh, uh, you know, I, I I just wonder why why the governor would support that, especially when previous governors, uh, you know, Governor Kasich and, and Governor Taft, the, the two former Republican governors, has said that's a dumb idea to have a special election in August to amend the Constitution. So I disagree with the governor's uh, uh, statement that, uh, you know, that he should sign that type of uh, legislation.
1: Awesome. So a topic that we discuss quite often on our show is H.J.R. 1 and its sister resolution in the Senate and the just the 60 percent threshold in general. So, Joe, I'm going to let you ask the next question.
0: Yeah. So, you know, it's been in the news a lot lately. Um, and it was also talked about in the previous session that uh, Ohio Republicans wanted to increase the threshold to pass uh, constitutional constitutional amendments from a majority vote to 60 percent and we were wondering um there seems to be like a lot of pushback from regular just uh, voters both democrats and republicans but for you specifically what are your thoughts on this proposal to raise the threshold to 60 percent, and how do you think that could affect public policy in the state in the future
2: well, it didn't have a negative impact on public policy. First of all, we, we've had that uh, in our constitution since the early 1900s, uh, uh, referendum and uh, constitutional amendments, uh, you know, and always requiring a 50, 50% plus one majority vote. So uh, all of a sudden after 110 years, you know, we're saying, oh, we need to change that, you know, we're getting some bad stuff. It, it's very obvious that it's, it's a... Uh, uh, it's a concerted push to uh, make it harder for the uh, Reproductive Rights Amendment, which petitions are being circulated for now. That plus the fact that we all know the redistricting process hasn't worked very well. So, probably at some point, we're going to have to go to the ballot with signatures with a referendum and issue the petition to create what's called an independent redistricting commission because uh, uh, the way the legislature and political people are doing it, they're just going to keep it very... Uh, very favorable to one party. So I think what you're seeing here is an attempt to let's make it harder for these things to uh, clear the hurdle. You know, they may be looking at, let's say the Kansas issue, uh, which got, uh, that was a different issue. That was to enshrine anti-abortion rights. And, uh, but, but it failed with a 59% vote. So, uh, you know, if you look at some of the things that have passed over the years, that have become part of the constitution. They're saying, oh, special interests are buying the constitution. No, we've had a lot of things passed between the 50 and the 60 percentile, such as the, uh, you know, Clean Ohio program, which basically was uh, uh, created bond funding to clean up brownfields to uh, create more green spaces in the state of Ohio. Uh, you know, in other words, you know, majority has always ruled on this. Now, you know, at times, do I... I think we probably shouldn't be legislating through the Constitution. Yes, I think in many cases we should do some things legislatively, uh, but on the same hand, when it comes to certain things, that, uh, uh, constitutions have always basically been limiting documents. They basically defend the rights uh, that you have. So, I mean, I don't think you want to make it harder to defend uh, people's rights as a citizen. Uh, which, which uh, you know, are done through the constitutional amendment process. So I don't see what's broke over the last 110 years that we have to fix. It's just that certain elements saying we don't like the fact that this may pass by a majority vote next year or later this year. So let's make it a super majority rather than a simple majority. Uh, you know, that's that's like that's like changing the rules uh, in a football game going into the fourth quarter. You you just don't do that.
1: Right. So I have a follow-up question, um, also about HGR1. Do you have any critiques of the process? Because I know that a lot of people, and I think Alison Rousseau, and a lot of other um, Democrats in the state have criticized the process to try to get this thing, I guess, done. So do you have any critiques?
2: Well, just that they're they're trying to do it. They have to do it by May tenth if they want to get it on the August ballot. They have got to have it done by uh, I think it's May the tenth. Uh, it didn't come up this week, and we're done in session this week. So next week we're in the first first week of May. So. You know, they, they need 60 votes uh, to put a constitutional amendment on the ballot. They also need a super majority uh, to an emergency clause to put any legislation in that doesn't take effect 90 days later. Now, we already saw last year how they ended around that, because uh, if they got a bill to just change the uh, to set up a special primary election in August uh, to hold a vote yes or no on this proposed uh, H.J.R. 1. Uh, that that would require a suspension of the emergency clause, which is 66 votes, which they don't have. But uh, uh, what they did last year is if they add an appropriation to the bill, and they will say, oh, we're going to add an appropriation of $20 million to pay the cost of this special election in August, uh, then the law can be interpreted to say, since it's an appropriation measure, it does not need a suspension of the emergency clause. So. Uh, Real, the real test here is do they have the 60 votes to put it on the ballot, uh, the constitutional amendment, because that it, it requires 60 votes of the 99 member house. Right now they have 65 Republican members because two seats are vacant and, and they're having a real fight between the two camps on the Republican side as to who fills those vacancies. I mean it wouldn't be surprise me it wouldn't surprise me if the morning of the vote uh to get to those sixty votes that those vacancies get filled uh and so uh, we'll see but that but that's the process so they have to uh, do that it has to be done by may the tenth uh so there's two there's two measures they'd have to pass they'd have to they'd have to pass by at least sixty votes uh it's already passed the Senate so it's already cleared that hurdle uh to put it on the ballot and then they would have to actually then pass legislation either either uh, approve the senate bill or, or create an own bill here either way it's got to be passed by both houses uh to set the election date for august and so uh that's uh you know that that that's where we're at right now i i i is that kind of what you wanted to find out what the process was
1: yeah i, I think that answered the question
0: yeah Next, I have a few, I have two questions about, I'm sure you're very aware of the House Bill 6 scandal that, uh, you know, rocked the state uh, this year after Larry Householder was uh, charged and found guilty. Um, So, you know, HB 6 was the largest corruption scandal in the country, and it happened right here in our state, in our backyard. So how... What do you think we do to prevent this kind of corruption from happening again? And how do we root this out of, you know, like our public institutions and uh the state house?
2: Well, first of all, we need we need full financial disclosure. I mean, uh, the, the fund that was used this generation now fund, uh, these were unreported contributions, the law basically protected. So we don't even know where the, you know, sixty-one million came from uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, when interest groups put money into there. So I, I think that's part of it. I think we have to reform our campaign finance laws. Secondly, uh, you know, I, I we did in budget hearings the section, I was in here the, the public utilities commission sub uh, budget and the new chair of the public utilities commission, former judge here in Franklin County, uh, Judith French, uh, uh, she was very upfront about. Uh, yeah, I know I have to restore confidence, confidence in our public utilities agency. I do not meet with anyone privately. I make sure someone was with me when I meet with someone. Uh, I understand, you know, and, and that uh, uh, you know, if, if if it's if it's not perceived as right by the public, it should be perceived as right by us. So I think I, I think we're we're making some change. I, I I think the real problem here is though. Where's the outrage from the from the citizenry about what happened? I mean, this was the largest public uh, bribery scandal in the history of the state of Ohio, and as a result, the Republicans picked up more seats. They increased their numbers in the state house in 2020, and they increased their numbers again in 2022. Uh, so it, it's almost like if the people don't express outrage, if people don't start, uh, you know, saying, "Listen." I do not want office holders in office who allowed this stuff to happen. Now, of course, everybody I wasn't here in the legislature in 2019, but all the other people say, Oh my God, I had no idea what Larry Householder was doing. You know, it reminded me of Bill Saxby during the Watergate scandal. He was the US Attorney General at the time, or no, he was the Ohio Senator, uh soon to become US Attorney General, and he said my gosh it, it sounds like everybody's the piano player at the bordello nobody had any idea what the hell was going on upstairs uh and and so that's you know that that's what i was finding is amazing is that this bill passed 52 votes it had uh democrat and republican support uh uh there was a lot of push by labor to support it and all that and so i mean it was uh but but you know the only one that's really you know uh, been fingered is, is Larry Householder and uh, everyone else. So I, I'm hopeful that the federal prosecution and that process is not done, you know, that there are more names to be named, but, but I think, uh, you know, we, we have to, uh, uh, we have to have full disclosure of where any of this money is coming from. I mean, what, what happened here is if, if, if you saw how it was laid out, I mean, he cut a deal with First Energy. First Energy gave sure there was a fund trade with a lot of money from unknown donors. That money was then used to elect Republicans in primary elections around the state, who, if they were elected in the primary, probably were going to win the general because the way the district slanted heavily Republican, but who were also committed to making Larry Householder the next Speaker of the Ohio House. So so the money, the money not only... Was used to get enough votes to make Larry Householder Speaker, but then the money was used to influence the people once he got them in there to vote for the nuclear bailout. Uh, you know, which, which, you know, that was a hot issue as Joe knows in Lake County. Oh, we got to save our nuclear power plant. Without this bailout, it's going to close. We're going to lose all those jobs. Well, when it was all said and done, First Energy deter- or Energy Harbor, or whatever they call themselves. Said, we don't need that money right now because the federal energy regulatory commission has told us if we take that money from the subsidy we can't count it against our rate structure so they declined the money so uh, all of this took place to save our nuclear power plant which is still up and operating and all that so uh, uh it, it just uh, it's a sad check there's still a couple of remnants of it there's still two coal-fired plants being funded uh, and subsidized out of people's electric bills. And we need to end those subsidies. And and we're going to keep trying to do that uh, on those two plants. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we need we need total, total transparency on campaign financing and any of these schemes that are set up. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and, again, I think the new chair of the Public Utilities Commission, she understands that, uh, you know, her predecessor Randazzo in there was part of this scheme. And so uh uh, you know, I, I just think we need, we mean, obviously always need more regulatory oversight, uh, by our elected officials, uh, you know, and, and, uh, certainly, uh, you know, I mean, we, we tossed Larry Householder out of the house before he was convicted in the criminal trial, but, uh, on the same hand, uh, uh, uh we, we, we've just got to, uh, you know, uh, make sure that, uh. Uh, you know, the big utility totally money just just should not be able to buy things down here.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought up uh, Perry Nuclear Plant because, you know, I'm from Manor. I'm not from Perry specifically, but, you know, the nuclear plant is, you know, touted as a, it's a job creator. And I know it's very important to Perry because of the, the tax that they pay really helps their school district. And I know the Perry Plant isn't in your district, I believe. Um, but you know, what's the importance of the perinuclear plant and how, you know, after HB six, like what, what do you see, like, how do we support that community while, you know, ensuring that everything is, remains transparent and fair?
2: Well, as you know, Joe, when this all started, I was, I was still at Lake County Commission mm-hmm. and that became a political football, you know, who's doing more to save our nuclear power plant? We need to bail them out. We need to support I said, listen, I, my position was the only one that's going to make this decision whether or not it stays open is First Energy. In other words, are they going to close or are they going to keep it open? Now, unfortunately, at the time, First Energy basically handed a ransom note to the uh, Ohio General Assembly and said, here, here's the ransom, pay it, or we're going to shut this thing down. So everybody panicked. You know, there you know you hear from there were 700 high, high, uh, highly paid employees out there at the Perry new plan oh they're all going to lose their jobs perry schools was going on but of course perry schools also for a 1500 student uh, school district you know built 150 million dollar school campus uh uh you know about 20 years ago so uh you know i mean sometimes i'd like to say gee perry schools will have to learn how to live like the rest of us instead of like millionaires uh so uh uh, you know, they do have the highest paid school uh, teachers in the state of Ohio and all that. So uh, I, I think that, you know, the plan is still operating. I think and there was another thing that happened back, uh, this was after I left the legislature the first time, but they passed what was called electric utility deregulation. And uh, I, as a new commissioner at time, said, I don't know if that's in the best interest of lake county because we have a coal-fired plant in east lake and we have a nuclear power plant in perry and they both pay a substantial amount of taxes to our school system and our local governments and if you deregulate the industry and say oh no it's no longer a monopoly it's a deregulated industry. They are going to say, "Well, now we want to be treated like every other business, and we want to only be assessed at twenty-five percent of valuation instead of eighty-eight percent." So I said, "It's it's going to create a tremendous tax drop." Uh, and all I heard from people who were proponents of this at the time was, "Well, let's let the marketplace decide. The marketplace should decide this. We should allow competition." Well, fast forward twenty years later, the marketplace was deciding that. I don't want to buy nuclear power. It's too expensive to generate. I want to buy natural gas uh, turbine created power or other type of power and all that. In other words, the marketplace was deciding and then people said, oh, we can't have that. we got to subsidize this, this thing. So it's... Uh, you know, it, it, sometimes you know it, it's 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 the uh, unintended results of uh, what people thought were wise decisions at the time. So, uh, you know, I, I think Perry is going to continue to operate uh, for a while. Uh, you know, they they are compared to uh, fossil fuel uh, electric generation. You know, uh, you know. Uh, zero emission free although the problem is is the waste uh the nuclear waste that is still sitting there and we've still got to find a way to properly dispose of that uh but uh, uh yeah i so i i you know for the foreseeable future you know i see the perry nuclear power plant operating uh i, I think it's important I think more so for the economic impact of, uh, uh you know, the people that are working there and, and what that adds to the community, uh, you know, the tax generation is nice, but then, you know, there were times I used to get a little tired of hearing the Perry local fire district say, you know, we, we have, we have, we have more personnel per cap. We have more fire personnel cap per capita than in any other community in the state of Ohio, you know, and, and they could do that because of the money coming in. So, uh, uh, so I, I, I think, you know, I think, uh, you know, it'll get by. I mean, that, that plant's not going to operate forever. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, uh, you know, uh, you know, they need to always be planning for the future as to, and diversifying their revenue stream for that school system and for, uh, uh, the communities depend upon that. Uh, I mean, it really wasn't a big uh, tax. I Lake County when I was commissioner, we only get one mill of taxation. We the county general fund would get one mill of inside millage and all that. And so, uh, uh, what we were getting from the Perry Nuclear Power Plant was probably approximately one percent of our overall county budget.
1: So let's talk about your record for a little bit. You've passed a bill, or you helped pass a bill. Uh, about Agent Orange. Our question is Are you surprised that it took this long to put legislation on on the floor and to pass it addressing this issue and honoring our veterans who have been exposed to Agent Orange?
2: Well, I, it was brought to my attention by a Perry Perry, uh, a Township resident, Arnie, uh, you know, Arnie Franklin. He was, uh, uh, unfortunately, he passed away before we finally uh, got the bill passed, but he was a Vietnam veteran. He was passionate about this issue. He approached all the legislators in Lake County, and he said, gee, you're the only one that responded to me. And I said, well, that's always good to know. Uh, Maybe my colleagues were busy or distracted. And uh, I said, uh, 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 but what what he said is that only one state, Tennessee, had actually acknowledged and honored the victims of Agent Orange. Uh, He would like Ohio to be the second state. So we were able to, but it's, it's a resolution. It's not a bill. It acknowledges and salutes them for their service and all that. It encourages the federal government. There's nothing really to stake it to. Encourages the federal government to continue to address uh, the ramifications of the issue. And I have heard s- from so many citizens uh, after I introduced that bill, whose husbands had passed away, and they would say, "And, and he." His whole life, he was uh, adversely impacted by the uh, uh, the effects of Agent Orange, you know, which was a chemical. That so it, it it's taken a long. And you see, recently, the federal government has just done something in terms of tar pits, uh, you know, from Iraq and, and Afghanistan, where the impact they have had on that. So I, I think it's it's uh, uh, it, it's probably something you know we should have done. But I think it was a question of a a Vietnam veteran who felt so strongly about this and who knew people who had, uh, uh, you know, passed away as a result of this, you know, asking Ohio to acknowledge this. And again, it's, it's one of these things where you do it to, you're not, you're not going to, we're not going to be able to fund the, uh, the relief that these people need but it's basically bringing it to more people's attention that hey this this was some bad stuff that they were using in vietnam to basically defoliate the jungle and find it you know easier to find the enemy and all that but the uh, the impact on people's health but i mean it's just uh Things were different back then. I mean, I just spent last weekend at a, at a Great Lakes uh, legislative caucus seminar in Detroit. Uh, it was made up of Midwestern state legislators. It was only from Ohio, but we had representatives from Ontario and Quebec province in and, and, uh, Canada. And, uh, you know, just talking. And one of the things we did, we did a tour of one, uh, part of the, the city of Detroit and their sewer system. Well, the problem with Detroit is they have a one-pipe system. Both the sanitary and the stormwater all goes into one pipe. And, of course, it all goes through the treatment plant now. Probably 50 years ago, it used to all go right to the river, the Detroit River, untreated. Uh, But what happens is when they got a heavy rain like they did in 2021, you know, the the system couldn't handle it. So it all backed up into people's basements and their properties and that stormwater because it was such a volume and you think, yeah, now there's something that uh, you, you know today you would never design a system like that, but uh, uh, and, and, and probably back in the Vietnam area, they said, well, yeah, hey, this stuff is just killing the shrubbery in the forest and uh, what the heck, and then uh, you know, but but we keep, you know, kind of fooling ourselves and saying, how long did we know the bad effects of Agent Orange and did we just kind of sweep it under the rug and all that? So, uh, uh, you know, ho- hopefully it's something we learn from and hopefully, uh, you know, do a better job at keeping our troops out of harm's way.
1: So we have about uh, 10-ish minutes left in this uh, conversation. So Joe and I are both young. We're both involved. We... Obviously, we're involved enough to have this conversation with you and to get this out there. So, what is some advice that you have for us, or is there anything you would recommend to people like us who want to get involved in state politics, state gov? Um, like, where would we get started? What would we do? Things like that.
2: Well, I started on the, on the lower level. I started out as a board council in the city of Well Elect. Like, I mean, if people are interested in getting involved in government, you know, it's it's a lot easier to get started at the local level. That doesn't mean you maybe have to run for office or maybe, you know, get on a local board a recreation board or your, your planning commission or something like that. So, uh, uh, I mean, I know a lot of people say, well, I just want to do something on the federal level and all that. Well, you know, it's a bigger, it's a bigger pond, uh, you know, to, to kind of get involved and make a difference. I, you know, I always, I believe in apprenticeships. I believe, you know, hey, you learn a little bit at the lower level and it's going to prepare you better for the higher level and all that. Uh, you know, what, what I always recommend to young people and I've been, I've been a commencement speaker at Lakeland twice where I've said, you know, that, you know, I, I, I said, now you've all been handed a piece of paper today which says you are now officially declared critical thinkers. You're smarter because you have that diploma. Here, I said, but, but, uh, what I want you to do is think for yourself, you know, and, and, uh, I don't know how many of our young people, hopefully very few, you know, sit and watch Fox News. Uh, but I mean, if you sit there and watch Fox News, or on the other side, if you sit there, maybe and watch MSNBC, you know, I always try and tell people try and figure this stuff out yourself don't don't say I, I i agree with this because tucker carlson told me that was it or i agree with this because rachel maddow said it was i mean i i think if if i would encourage our young people to just kind of uh you know analyze these things uh you know don't always be on you know i i always say i, I said i say to some of my republican colleagues i says how can every one of you be for these crazy gun laws uh, or lack of gun laws? I mean, come on. I, 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 you know, in other words, it, it's, we, you know, we need to stop this tribalism where, uh, you know, every, every Democrat feels this way on every issue the same way and uh, every Republican. And I mean, and I've had a little problem down here where people say, well, why don't, well, why aren't you with us on this? I said, because personally, I don't. I don't agree with your position on that. Or you know, I mean, when it comes to things like uh, uh, you know, law enforcement issues and stuff like that, you know, I say, listen, I, 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 uh, I said we've gotten in too much political trouble with this concept of being accused of defunding the police. So be careful here, because uh, you know, especially, and I said. Go into you know I go into some of your older minority communities, which I have uh, places like Richmond Heights and Danelle and stuff like that. Uh, uh, outside the young people, you know, most of the population is extremely supportive of their local police department. Uh, you know, they're not. Uh, so it's it's just a type of stuff like that. I think my my encourage young people just just be an open mind as possible, or rather than forming your opinions because so and so told me this or so and so told me that. When I first ran for city council, I kind of went around my ward and I just asked people. I said, "So what do you?" What do you like about our city uh, and what don't you like about our city you know you're trying to get an idea of what's on people's minds and you know it's it's going to become much more effective if people if you're representing people and, and you tell them uh you know uh they think that hey he's he's representing me because uh you know he talked to me about this you and he's trying to do something about it so what? Uh, I, you know, I, I, I think that's it. I think, uh, uh, you know, I, I, again, just, uh, you know, get your, get your information is from as many sources as possible. And then you sort it out. You know, sort it out and say, no, all right, you know, is this, because uh, if it's too good to be true, it's probably not true. Uh, and if it's, uh, you know, and that's why I get in trouble sometimes. I tell people, listen, I'm going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what you have to hear. Now, unfortunately, if I tell you what you have to hear, probably that's not a very good recipe for political success. But I have to tell you, there is some bad news, and we're going to have to figure out how do we how do we correct that bad news and all that. Uh, instead of just just saying, you know, uh, I mean, you know, we got a county commissioner in Lake County just said, you know, I'll never vote for a tax increase. I won't. Uh, I, you know, uh, we're not going to do this. I mean, but but on the same hand. Uh, you know, uh, you know, you never say never. You basically say, listen, I, I, I need to, there may be an issue arise where you say, we just don't have the revenue to address this issue, and we're going to have to come up with the revenue to address this issue. But if you got somebody that says, I no, no, I made an airtight flex to people, I will never vote to raise their taxes, or I'll never do this. Uh, that's a that's a bad to me that's a bad word for political candidates or office holders to use, which is the word never, because you never know what the circumstances or
0: situations are you're gonna have to deal with. Yeah. Um I think with that we have about, you know, three minutes left. But I wanna thank you again for talking with us today. We really appreciate it. And it's always nice to hear from uh, people that are actually making policy that affects all of us, um, you know, to speak about it and give their insights about, you know, issues that affect all of us. So uh, thank you for that again, Dan.
2: Yes, certainly. And uh, uh, let's see, who was the young lady who was down her Good friend here. Friendier. She was here to see me. Uh... Uh, that's Victoria. Victoria. Yeah. Yeah. She was there, she shadowed me one morning in committee, right? See what we were doing. I think it was finance committee. Oh, there's Victoria. How are you? Good
1: I'm, to see good. you. I'm working on your audio right now to make sure you sound good on the pod.
2: Okay. All right. Well, you know, yeah, do the best you can. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. I appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity to talk to you folks. Uh, you know, and uh, yeah, keep. I mean, whatever you can do to get more of our young people interested in what the heck is going on, I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, we, we, because, we, you know, young people see, uh, uh, they're seeing a lot more clearer, I think, but they're, they, you know, they, they, they kind of are looking at things from an analyzing and all that, you know, a lot of our older people are locked in the issues. The problem is, is that if the younger people don't participate in the process, you know, they need to get out and vote. They need to make sure their voice is heard, you know, to kind of balance that all out. Because that's how public policy is made in, in, uh, you know, what we've always said this country, government by the people.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think with all that being said, we're going to hop off here. We appreciate you being on and hopefully you come on again sometime.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Hey, certainly. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. Well, as everyone just heard, we just spoke to State Rep Dan Troy.
1: State Rep Dan Troy,
0: friend of the pod now, super friend of the pod was before, but now he's a super friend. Super friend. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really glad that he came on the podcast, and you know, it is to, we're a small podcast, very small podcast, but it is, it is nice when elected officials, especially elected officials that represent um, the counties that you know, we live in, Cuyahoga and Lake, mm-hmm. Um, you know, come and speak to us about the issues that are affecting us. And especially with, like, HB6, I think that's one thing that's super... I think it's very important for elected officials to talk about because it has really uh damaged, like, the image and reputation of politicians and government. And, you know, they really have to re-earn people's trust. Yeah,
1: I mean... I mean, we heard Dan talk about HP6, but I mean, from a Northeast Ohio perspective, it's mm-hmm. good to know that one, it's like fresh in his, mind. Yeah. he thinks about it regularly, it feels like, just from that conversation. And I know we regularly think about it. Um, I mean, I'm from central Ohio and up until the Larry Householder trial and the arrest back in 2019, um, I, I mean, I didn't know too much about it. Mm-hmm. So it's good from a northeast Ohio perspective that yeah. he's thinking about it and that we're having these conversations.
0: Especially talking about um you know what happens to Perry Power Plant. Mhm. Uh because it's it's an important part of, you know, Perry course, but also, you know, Lake County. It's it's a really big job creator and um you know, thinking about what happens to that plant, you know, 10, 20 years from now. And you know what do we do to make sure that people that work there now still have jobs down the line when we don't know if you know maybe the plant will hopefully, my personal opinion be, you know upgraded to be more efficient and to have you know newer reactors, or you know what happens after Perry Nuclear Power Plant. How do we ensure that these people don't lose jobs and that they're not abandoned by First Energy, but mm-hmm. also you know the state government because, you know I don't want to see people lose their jobs just because of some bullshit that a private company pulled
1: so when we were talking to representative troy about advice for young folks what he said to us was similar almost identical to advice that i was given by a state senator who i'm not gonna say their name because it's off the record mm-hmm. but a state senator they said make sure you get unbiased news make sure that you're Doing your research, forming your own opinion, and don't get sucked into the 24-hour news cycle. Yeah. don't get sucked into the culture wars, don't get sucked into things like that, and the state senator in question is a Republican. Mm-hmm. So I mean it's, it's good to know that the three-party system is, in
0: Columbus is, is going strong. It's alive and well. But it is nice to know that you know there's people like Dan, mm-hmm. um, you know Democrats, but also there are Republicans that are in Columbus that are really they're trying to do the right thing. Um, you know, whether we agree with them or not, that's, you know, up to you and your own ideology and political beliefs. But I think, I think there's, um, there is hope that, you know, things can change and things can turn around. Um, the other thing is, is that when we were talking to him about his Agent Orange bill to recognize what Agent Orange did to people, Mm -hmm. but also honor the veterans that were exposed to and, you know, got, uh, cancers and other Diseases directly caused from Agent Orange, um, you know. I think it shows, you know, how representatives should be. Because Dan mentioned that uh, the one veteran uh, out in Perry Township, you know, said to him, "You're the only person that responded," and that's so like disheartening that you know, uh, you know, county officials ignored him, but also other state officials ignored him. Mm -hmm. You know, he. That person served our country and was exposed to a dangerous chemical that we've known has been dangerous for a very long time, and nothing had been done. I was actually surprised to learn that Ohio is the second state, the second state in the entire country, to honor veterans that were exposed to Agent Orange and recognize what it did to people, but also yep. you know, encourage the federal government to do something about it so that these veterans can get the help they need.
1: Yeah, I had no idea that we were the second state. That was, he said second to what Tennessee. Tennessee, yeah. Interesting, very interesting.
0: Um, but yeah, I'm I don't want to like you know repeat what I said, but I, I'm I'm glad he spoke to us. I, I'm I, I'm happy. I am, and you know that's kind of the what we're trying to do here, right? You know, we have our opinions. Everyone knows us, mm-hmm. but we want to speak to the people that create policy, that are in charge, that are your elected officials, that you might not even know. Um, who they are and you might have never heard them speak before because it's unfortunate that a lot of people aren't you know connected to their representatives and i think it's important that we you know talk to it's
1: also easy to get sucked into federal politics congressional politics i mean i mean honestly if you talk to a lot of people they don't know who their congressperson is but that's beside the point um but i mean getting dan on the podcast Awesome decision, yeah. I think we did good. Um, hopefully, there's more to come. More state officials, more elected officials in general, public figures. Yeah, more to come.
0: More to come. Uh, and again, thank you for joining us on this kind of different but special episode of the Policy Wonk podcast. Certainly. And that's all we got for today.
1: And yeah,
2: I mean, Policy Wonk signing off.
0: See ya.